Now to him who is able to do abundantly above and beyond all that we might ask or think. That, that's the, the passage that I preached from October 27th, 2002, when I was coming to this church in view of a call to, to be their pastor. I knew I was coming to a church that was already filled with great faith, that, that, that loved the, the preaching and the teaching, was committed to the preaching and teaching of, of God's Word. And when I say preaching and teaching, I'm not just talking about the activity that a, that a person does standing up here. Preaching and teaching is proclaiming God's Word, holding out God's Word. We all do that. We hold it out as the answer. We hold it out as the, the thing that shapes and directs our lives that, that we get our directions from. I knew I was a part of a church, wanted to be a part of a church like that. I knew they were committed to sharing the gospel, wanted to make a difference in their world. You know, I guess the question would become, could we go even further? And I look at that passage and I, I, I know that God wants us to dream about more than we think we can do. And he all but guarantees there. He does guarantee there. I will go further. I will do more. Would we join God in that? And by the way, they did vote on me to be their pastor in case you were wondering what happened there. You know, after I had been there, uh, I guess it was about four months, I, I called a meeting together uh, of leaders from various areas of the church and we met in a, a room down in, in our old building and uh, there was about 70 as I remember in the room that night and uh, I, I, I walked up there was a whiteboard there and I, and I walked up and I wrote 5,000 I, I said can you imagine us being a church of 5,000 worshipers of God man that seemed like Way, way out there. I mean, that seems like a challenge today. You know, we look in our bulletin. We run 2,100 to 2,300 week in, week out. That's, you know, our average is in that realm. We have about 4,500 people, believe it or not, that are coming here throughout the year to make up that average. There's about 4,500 that are involved with our, our church. But when I said that back then, there was about 900 we, we were running 900, and I think even a bigger challenge than the number was the property. We were on like nine acres. I mean, 5,000 people aren't going to fit on nine acres. That's, that's not going to work. But, you know, I wasn't worried about that. That's God's problem, not mine. God, God will figure that out, and I assumed he would, and I assumed he would do it right there where we were sitting. And, and then I told him, I said, you know, the, the number 5,000 is not my actual goal. But rather, it's what that number can produce. It's what that number can mean. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, a much bigger goal than the 5,000 is the number 3,000. You say, well, how's that, how's, that, how's that a bigger number? Because 5,000 is just people who might be coming for a song and a sermon periodically, and there's nothing wrong with that. But a bigger challenge is 3,000 that are really living life in Christ together. You know, they're, they're praying together, they're worshiping together, they're ministering together, they're building friendships in Jesus Christ together, what we call life groups, right? Now, to get 3,000 of that kind of activity going on, that seems like about like an impossibility. Or, or how about this number? I wrote this number, how about 1,000? Can, can you imagine with me 1,000 people ready, willing, able to share the gospel wherever they are in their community? 
Or, or that they might be willing to get on a plane and, and fly somewhere like Zimbabwe. I think we have a team coming home from Zimbabwe today, as a matter of fact. To, to, to fly to Zimbabwe or to Nicaragua to share the gospel. Or along with or beyond sharing the gospel, going out into that community and feeding the poor. Helping those in need, working with those in, in crisis pregnancies, cleaning up, picking up, making the place better. A thousand people ready and willing to make their community a better place. And not only their own community, but would they go somewhere like Ukraine or, or Haiti and, and make somebody in those communities a better place to live? I mean, that's an army, a thousand people. Where do you get that from? I mean, folks, you, you realize how impossible that is? Do you understand that 99% of all the churches in the United States of America do not have 1,000 people? How, how, where are you going to get 1,000 people? From the 5,000. And so we were kind of thinking and dreaming, and I pulled out some different numbers and some different ideas along with that day, and we started thinking about, okay, what does this mean Okay, if this was to be something we were trying to do, what does that mean to the budget? What does that mean to the calendar? What does that mean to leadership? What does that mean to, to facilities? And we just began thinking and working through all that. Man, we left that night and uh, we're just, I mean, there was a buzz. I mean, we were pretty excited, you know, pretty impassioned about what could be. And yet, as we walked out of that room, not one person, including me, not one person had an idea at all of what was about to happen. It's kind of interesting when you step out and really begin to seek God and trust God for what only He can do. And you step out in that kind of faith, boy, hang on when he starts to move. Because after I had that meeting, it was, I don't know, four or five weeks later. I, the meeting was in February. I mean, I didn't write these dates down. It was, I think it was the end of March, maybe the first of April, that, that somebody came to us with an idea. An idea about some property nearby, 38 acres. My first thought, my very, very first thought when I heard that is, that is stupid, that's a dumb idea. Pastors get fired. I haven't even been here five months. I'm going to suggest we move. People get fired for stuff like that. But, but I, I, I'll tell you another thing that made me think, well, that's, that's still stupid. You know, we were sitting in a building that, that was the exact same age as the sanctuary you're sitting in right now. The sanctuary we were in was nine years old. The, the sanctuary we're in was one of the largest in the community, in the whole region. I mean, that's, that's just generally speaking, not something you just pick up and, and walk away from. You say, well, so what happened? Well, you're sitting in what happened. <laughs> I mean, yes, we ultimately did end up coming and looking at this 30 acres and, and long story short, bought it and, and ended up building a church. And, and that's where we sit today. You know, it's amazing, I'm going to say it again, how fast God moves and what He does when we're willing to step out in faith on things we can't do. Now, that's not just words. God, I'm trusting you to do something I can't. It's stepping out saying, and I'll start walking in that faith. I'll start living in that way. Well, we, we left that room. We, we left that year, 2003, having purchased this property. Man, we were, we were so excited. And kind of our stated vision, you know, the target we were trying to hit was to impact our community and our world for Christ. It was kind of a great rallying cry. Probably not the greatest vision because it, it's kind of hard to measure. 
that doesn't give any real direction on what we're doing or what we're not doing. But it, it did rally us. And that's how we kind of began moving. And we think, well, how are we going to impact the world? Well, you know, we're going to build this building. I mean, we weren't building this as a place to hide. As a matter of fact, we said over and over, we're building this place as a launching pad into our community and, and our world. And, and man, God, what we saw him do from 2003 up to, to 2005 and into 2008, I mean, we just saw him guide us, protect us, provide resources and opportunities that were so far beyond our ability. No way we could manipulate or work real hard and, and make that happen. And, and yet here it is, it happened. And you know what's really crazy is not only did the building come about, but God began to move and work in other ways that were beyond our ability. You know, it's, it's hard when you're building, right? You built a home. You know, you're building a church, you kind of become focused on making that happen. It, it kind of ab- absorbs all your finances, it absorbs all your prayers, it absorbs all your time trying to make that happen. It's, I mean, I don't think anybody intends for it to happen, but you end up kind of becoming inward focused. You just hope you don't get stuck there, right? Especially as a church. And yet at the same time that we were doing this impossibility... The same time we were doing that, man, God began to move and work in that thousand number. And what we do as we go out from here. You know, folks, as recently as 10 years ago, as recent as that, we were a church that went on, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't even say we went on an annual trip. We, we went out on a mission trip probably every 18 to 24 months. And, uh, you know, maybe an opportunity would pop up or what seemed like, a, a, you know, hey, there's something we can do. That's a, that's a place we can minister. And we would kind of go. And, and when the trip was over, it was over. And, and what we were doing overseas kind of is what we did here, too. I, I mean, you know, different things would pop up. Hey, we can do this in our community. Hey, we can make a difference there. And we would run and go and do these different things. But there was no real connection to what we were doing, to, to why we were doing it. Just various things would pop up. Well, as you, as you get, I mean, again, as recently as five, six years ago, all of a sudden, man, that just began to, to just explode and, and I mean, to where now today, and we've, we've been doing this for four or five years, we go on five to eight mission trips around the world every single year. Every year we're going over and over to, to Nicaragua, to Haiti, to Ukraine, to, to Zimbabwe. And we're not just going to some place or some idea that popped up. We have relationships there. There's people, there's ministries, there's churches that we relate with and that we work with. So when we go back, we're we're just picking up right where we left off last time. We're picking up in the relationships that have already begun. I mean, there's just a greater sense of of purpose and adding on to what we're doing and, and building when we go to these places in the world. And what we were doing in the world, we did in our community too. Man, we came back here and we began to to build relationships, to connect with other ministries that honestly just did stuff better than we did. Hey, I don't need to replace them. I don't need to compete with them. I need to figure out how we come alongside them and support them with people, with prayers, with money. And so we started organizing and working with agencies so that we could better be a part of feeding the poor. So that we could better be a part of helping in a, in a crisis pregnancy. So that we could repair and fix a home. So that we could make better our schools and our, and our parks. And, and we just started partnering in all these relationships so that we're always continuing something. Not just doing an event. I, I mean, folks, I could go on. 
I mean, a lot of you that have been around here for more than five years, you know, you've seen these things. You know what I'm talking about? None of it, not a single bit of that is what we imagined. And not, not any of it. When we came in here in 2008, didn't have a clue that we would need to build within a year. We would add on to this building that we already had. When we came in here in 2008, we had no concept. We had no idea at all of becoming one church at two campuses and, and, and starting our Midlothian campus. And so as I, as I kind of review all that, and maybe only I would feel this way, kind of personal to me, but I think back to the very first message I ever preached before this church family. And, and I'm presenting this idea of, of dreaming big and, and stepping out in faith. And I look back on that now and realize I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. Not one idea. I mean, you know, I'm explaining the passage and you know, all what another. Didn't have a clue of what God had already put in motion, of what God was getting ready to do. And man, we did all that, I, I believe, out of our heartbeat, out of our, out of our DNA. I mean, as I said earlier, this is a church that loves to share the gospel. This is a church that loves the, the proclamation of God's word, of, of sharing God's word out in our, in our families and in our friends and in our communities. Obviously, when we're here at church, this is a church that loves to do good works, that loves to be out in the world, out in the community, trying to make a difference, trying to make a place better. These are, now you could say, well, is that what any church is going to do? Well, well, Yeah. Those things and, and probably five times that list of things that a, a church could be, should be doing. But you know, in any list of all the things a church could be doing, should be doing, there's usually going to be two or three that kind of rise up as really the DNA of that individual church. It just kind of comes natural, kind of an outflow of their love for the Lord. And, and boy, that's what we see here at the Heights. But folks, our passions are taking place now in a rapidly changing world. It's not the 90s. It's not the 2000s, folks. It's not even 2010. It's amazing how quickly things are moving and changing. And the things that make your heart and my heart beat, the things we want to see our church doing, we're now doing in a culture that, that on a good day is just completely apathetic to us, could care less that we're here. And on a bad day is actually antagonistic to the church being here. You know, probably in our area, we don't feel that antagonism too much. But boy, there's a, the bulk of areas around this country where so much of the population is, they absolutely feel that antagonism. And, and as that increases, and it absolutely will increase. Do you understand that? You, you say, how do you know that? Because that's what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me where the relationship with the church and the world is going. And it's not a good place. We don't become more popular. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? A little book, Revelation? Anybody with me out there? Grasshoppers, anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not going in a good... You know what? We can pray and work, and I think maybe we could create a place where it gets a little bit better. Maybe even, man, wouldn't it be awesome to see God change something throughout America that it got better? But it'll be temporary because we already know where this is going. And so as that apathy, as that antagonism toward the church increases, you know what decreases is the platform for doing the very things we love the most. 
the things that we think are most important. There was a, a survey this summer uh, done throughout the country, nationwide. Of, it was kind of referred to as the next generation, 20-somethings and down. And it asked them, where do you turn in time of need? Where, where do you go for help? Did you know the church didn't even show up in their top five responses? It didn't show up in their top ten responses. When you ask the next generation, where do you go? They, they have a list of ten places they're going. And we weren't number eleven either. I mean, do you realize it's almost like as we meet from Sunday to Sunday, we're just getting increasingly irrelevant each time we gather I'm not saying in our church personally. I'm just, I'm just saying throughout the country we become less and less relevant to who and what they are out there. And that means the platform for what we do decreases. Well, folks, I just felt a burden that we were at a place and a time. We've got to get this right. We've got to get it right. We've got to, we've got to ask the right questions We've got to make sure we've got the right focus. We've got to make sure we're aiming at a target that, that, that if God chooses to do it, something beyond our imagination, a better future. And actually increasing opportunity to do what God's called us here to do. And I'll be honest with you, I felt those questions and kind of the direction for bringing that about were a little bit beyond me. I, I had, our staff had, we had a relationship with a ministry, a group uh, called Axano. That's not a word you use because it's not even a word. A-U-X-A-N-O. And, and they're consultants. And, and, and we began to talk with them and work with them. They, they are what they call themselves process consultants. They, they consult you on the processes that you're in. And, and I know uh, it, it, when I shared this with our deacons that we were talking about looking at this, it made some of them nervous because I, I understand in the business world out there in industry, when you hire consultants, that usually means a department's getting shut down. People are losing jobs. Everything changes. And two years later, not one thing's different. <laughs> Uh, that's not what we're doing. Nobody lost their job. Uh, they, they don't consult by coming in and saying, oh, you do this? Oh, stop doing that. That's your problem and start doing this. They, they don't tell you to change from this ministry to that ministry. They don't say, you got to do it this way instead of that way. That's not what they do. Wherever they go, whenever they're working with the church, they work with that church's DNA, that, that church's makeup. They're not there to say, start, stop, fire, hire. So they, they work with who and what we are to help us develop a process to clarify and understand what's our target? What are we trying to hit? Where, where are we going? And I think even more than a, you know, a snappy phrase that gives us our target, but a way to administrate that target, to revise it, to review it, and at times reshape it because the target doesn't always stay the same. Sometimes the target's moving. And so we, we went ahead and contracted with them. There was seven on our staff that kind of walked through this process. I'd like the whole staff to be in there, but just for small group dynamics and, and for that to work, work, you had to keep it a, a small group. So there was seven of us that met for 10 months, one day a month. We met all day long on those days, had homework in between. Oh my gosh, you should have heard the staff whine about the homework. But anyway, we, we, we met for 10 months, which finished last May. And uh, I, I wanted also some church members to be in there, just to hear and see, contribute. 
and, and be a part. And so I asked our executive committee, which is our chairman of finance, chairman of personnel, chairman of deacons. And then I asked the last five chairman of deacons. So it made a group of eight. And one of them at a time attended, not all of them, because then the group would be too big, but one at a time they, they came and they sat in all day long on these meetings and were a part of that. And I, I gave some updates, as I said, to the deacons as we went along. And so that whole process finished uh, back in May, and we've kind of been uh, gearing up all summer long, preparing. I mean, there's, there are some changes. There are some things that are going to be different. You're going to kind of, it's going to be like the surprise each week that you're going to learn about. But uh, as, as we come today, we're, we're ready to begin unfolding this kind of vision and the target that God has for us. And folks, in many respects, we're, we're going to our world and we're taking on our world. We're taking the apathy and the antagonism head on with God's love and with God's goodness, with, with the good works that we like to do, with the gospel and the word that we like to share. And in that, we came up with our target. If you look up here, in 10 years, the Heights Baptist will be a church, the 804. Now, let me stop right here and say something about 804. And I know that why I talk about 804, you keep right on reading and ignoring me. But I, I, I'd be doing the same thing. But that Boy, folks, right there, you wouldn't believe how much time we spent on that. You know, what are we going to call it? Is it our region? Is it South Richmond? Is it the Richmond Metroplex? Is it Central Virginia? Is it the, the 804? And obviously you can see 804, it was just simple, it was sweet, it was clear. Everybody in their mind gets a little bit of an idea of what that area is about. Although if you're like me, you didn't realize how big the 804 is. It goes all the way to the ocean. Uh, so it's, a, it's, a, it's probably a bigger area than you think it is. But the thing that we spent the most time on is not what we call it. What we spent the most time on was asking God what we have stewardship for. Stewardship, probably not a word you use a lot. It's kind of a Bible word. It means management. It means responsibility. What, what's our responsibility, God? And you're thinking, 804? Yeah, that's our neighborhood. That's a big neighborhood, isn't it? But you know what, folks? We're a big place, aren't we? We have a lot of people. We have resources. We have facilities. Doesn't the Bible say something about that? To whom much is given, much is expected. I believe God expects a lot of the Heights Baptist Church. And you understand, when I say that, that's not just Randy Hahn he's looking at. He's looking at every single person in here that's a member of this church. He expects much of us because much has been given to us. And so through a lot of prayer and fasting and conversation, we believe the 804 is our neighborhood. That, that, that's, our, that's our target. Now, here's our vision. That, that we become a church the 804 cannot imagine being without now, some of the words that follow might seem more intriguing. Well, what's that mean and what's this about? But that, that's the vision. That's our target. In a world that is growing in apathy to the church, in antagonism to the church, we're going to seek to be a church they can't imagine this place being without. In my mind, there's a conversation going on in a coffee shop and they're saying, man, you know, the church, they do this and they do that. They cause so much harm and, and all that. And they're kind of getting going and then they stop and say, you know what? Man, while all that might be true, I just, I just can't imagine what our area would be without the Heights Baptist. 
And folks, those kinds of conversations are already happening. This isn't about us creating something that's never happened. It's already happening. We just need to expand it. And so how do we expand that idea and that conversation? By expanding to five campuses and extending the reach of Love 804. Those are anchors. That's not the only two things. It's going to take more than two things for this to happen. In the vision, those are the two anchors, the big, big ones, and then there's a, a lot in between that will also make that happen. And then here's our goal. Our goal is not to be liked. I just said our target was a church they can't imagine, right? But that's not my goal. My goal is that once they can't imagine being without us, that it increases our opportunity to share his word and, and word there is just very simple, sharing the gospel, teaching his word, living life in Christ in front of them, with them, and for them, and sharing it, right? So, so this becomes our vision. This becomes the target that we are aiming at. And when I look at that, I see two challenges. Number one is leadership. I, I, I just don't think, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you what I told our deacons. We are not creating the leadership that we need for the stewardship that God has given us. And that's not a statement about you. Unfortunately, that's more a statement about me and our staff. We just have not developed the process that identifies leaders, recruits leaders, trains them, equips them, empowers them, and enough of them that folks in entire area code can be impacted as if we were just trying to go after a neighborhood. I mean, this is of such a significant importance to me. I'm actually working with two of our staff members right now. I'm kind of adjusting and changing some job description, moving some things around so that I have a staff member that takes on the sole responsibility of making sure this leadership pipeline happens. That, that whether it be onto our staff. I mean, it's, it's all kinds of leaders. It's, it's volunteers, people in the church. It's, it's creating a pipeline that finds and builds the staff we need, all, all of it. And so we're going to have a staff member focus just on doing that. But the second thing, again, it's something we already are, something we already do, but I, I, I just think we're, we're so far from it. And that's Connecting. When, when I look at the, the, the opportunity to, to, to accomplish this, I look at the connection between you and I, between us as a family, that, that needs to happen. We're so individualistic. I mean, that's just the American way. And, and church is just something I come and consume, and I, I, I get what I need. And sometimes we miss the relationship that is to be happening in the midst of that. You know, it's interesting. When God connects us to himself... Do you know instantly what happens? We're connected to each other. I don't think we always weigh that. I don't, I don't think we always understand what all is entailed in that and what that means. But, but folks, the best thing we offer a culture, a community, is not food. And it's not a cleaned up street or a cleaned up school or, or any of anything like that. Those are all good things. And we're going to do those things. But it's so that we have the greater opportunity to present the gospel. It, it, it's winning an audience. It, it's, it's developing an audience that trusts and, and wants to hear. The best thing we offer is not the good things that we do. The best thing we offer is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when somebody enters a relationship with Jesus Christ, they instantly are in relation with all of those that have a relationship with Christ. 
There is no formula in the New Testament for following Jesus alone. No formula at all. It's praying together. It's worshiping together. It's serving together. It's all the things I said a moment ago. It's falling down together and getting back up. Picking up the next day to keep following Christ. It's what we do together. Life is better connected. It makes a cool t-shirt. But folks, it speaks to a human need. The human need. And so, man, I think the, the challenge for us is how you and I together grasp this concept and really practice and exercise working at this connection. You know, folks, you can walk through the entire earth and you can identify, you can identify the work of Satan versus the work of God with the word connection. In every place, Satan ultimately works to divide, to separate, to make it us versus them. What's God always doing? From Genesis to Revelation, God's making us one. What's he do? God creates a man and a woman. He brings them together in marriage to become what? One. Then God creates the church in the New Testament. And as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, in John chapter 17, he has this very long priestly prayer. And there's one theme of the prayer. He even says in there that he's praying for future believers, future followers. Who are those? That's just you and me. And you know the one thing that he's praying for us for? That we'd be one. See, the work of God is always to bring us together. The work of God is to make us one. It's to connect us. It's Satan's work to isolate. It's Satan's work to paralyze in loneliness. It's Satan's work to make us think we don't need each other. It was Satan's work to instantly and immediately try to divide Adam and Eve from their creator. And as I said a moment ago, when you and I become saved, why are we saved? Because of the grace of God and His work for us on the cross. Man, there's a great description of what happens in our lives in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Some of you maybe know verse 8, right? For by grace we've been saved through faith and not that of ourselves. It's a, it's a gift of God. Oh, what a great passage about God, how God saves the individual. You know what happens in verse 11 to the end of the chapter? Read Ephesians chapter 2. Now that we're saved, now that we've been made one again with God, the next thing that happens is the walls of hostility. That's the biblical phrase there. The walls of hostility begin to drop between races and religion and what has kept us divided. And folks, wherever you go in this scripture, whether it's a marriage, a family, a church, or nations, God's work is to make us one. To bring us together. To bring hostilities down. Satan's work is to divide. That means you and I have got to practice the oneness that we've been won by Christ for, right? And oneness doesn't mean I can wave at you at church. You know, this is hard. I, you know, I, 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 mean, I, I mean, you know what I do. If you've been around here for a while, I get up here and you know, I get in life group. You've got to get in life group. I, I sell that every Sunday, right? You know, and I usually try to sell that by appealing to the needs it, it meets in your life. You know, man, you, you, you have relationships there when the crisis hits or you don't. You can't create those relationships overnight. And, you know, all this togetherness stuff and all that. And then one day it dawned on me. I don't even remember what I was doing, but it dawned on me. You know what? I wouldn't buy what I was selling. I, I really wouldn't. If I was sitting where you were selling, listening, I mean, sitting where you're sitting and listening to me, that wouldn't, that wouldn't move me one bit because I'm, I'm an introvert 
by statistics, about 30% of us are like that. Most are not. But I'm an introvert. I know it does not appear like that when I'm standing up here. But you'd be shocked at how incredibly comfortable I am all alone. You'd be shocked at how little I need to be heard. And and you say, oh, you know, you you need people to pray for you. Mm, Yeah, I suppose. I mean, if you're asking me, do I feel like I need people knowing what's going on in me and praying for me? No, I wouldn't say that's a feeling that I have. Because left to myself, left in my own personality, all alone seems like paradise. (laughs) But then it dawned on me. This isn't all about what I feel I need. As a matter of fact, Jesus appeals to what I need very little when it comes to each other. Jesus talks about my responsibility. Not what I get if I get involved, if I get engaged, but my responsibility. It doesn't just say have somebody praying for you. It says build a relationship so you know how many people you can pray for. It doesn't just say worship together with a friend you like. How many relationships can you build so that you're genuinely giving thanks to God together, worshiping together, following together? See, I have a responsibility to build those relationships. There is no life in Christ that is walked all alone. Nowhere in the New Testament. Nowhere do you see that. It's what we do together. So how can we go out and offer this connectedness to the world if we're not working at it? And, and we are. And we are. I'm just saying how much more we've got to work at it and exercise that right here in the family that's already taking place, right? So we, we came out of this whole season of, of looking at that. And as I said, all this summer we've been working on how we present this and how we unfold this in our church family. And it's, it's beginning today if you haven't put two and two together. <laughs> you know, we, we have six messages, one that we're almost at the end of. And uh, so five more beyond this. So today was kind of the target, the vision of where we're going. Next week's our mission. A lot of times those words are used interchangeably as if they're the same and they're not at all the same. Vision is the target that we're aiming at and can change. Mission does not change. Mission is the course that we always take as we're trying to hit a target, as we're trying to hit a vision. And so we're going to look at what's the mission of, what we, of who and what we are uh, as we go through this. So that's going to be six weeks. And, and there's actually, you're wondering, is this going to ever be personal to me? Four of these messages are about how we measure our own life in Christ, our own walk with Christ, and how that connects with others so, so that I could be a part of something that, that creates a church like that. So, so yeah, there's going to be some personal, most of the messages will be personal in that. And then we're going to do that whole Thanksgiving Christmas thing you got to do every year. And, and we're going to come back after, actually act, after Valentine's and uh, kind of have a part two of this. And we're going to look more at this vision and how we're actually going to bring this about. We have, we have this thing on our staff now we call the 1414. So the top one is that right there, where we're going in 10 years. And then we've identified four key uh, priorities that have to happen in the next three years so that we're moving toward that in ten years. So that's one, four, and then one. We've identified the key thing we have to do this year if we're actually moving toward that one thing ten years from now. And then the last four, that's what we've got to do in the next 90 days so that that one thing this year 
is happening. So we're going to be looking at a little bit more at that and, and developing that, understanding, you know, what, what is five campuses? By the way, you realize we already have two. This is not adding five, it's adding three. And, and if you go to our first line of four, it is to, it is to start the third campus by 2020. And, and so everything builds up kind of in that way. But we'll, we'll be expanding on this a lot more. Now, I, I realize as you look at this and listen to today, you, you could sit and say, you know, this all, this all sounds a little administrative-ish. This sound, I don't think that's a word, is it? It, it is today, just for today. Um, you, you, this this kind of sounds like stuff. Don't you do this like in a business meeting or somewhere and, and then vote on it or something? You know, I, I get that it can kind of sound like that. And I get that you could kind of say, oh, super, you know where we're going in 10 years. I'd really like just to get 10 more days out. You know, I, 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 you know what? I don't know if I'm going to have my job in 10 more months. I, you know, I, I don't come to church to hear where we're going 10 years. I, I come to church for some help, some hope, some inspiration to get through the, the next week. Folks, you're going to get that in the midst of this. Because as I said, I th- and I, you know what? I believe this about the person that's been a member of a church for 50 years and hadn't missed but maybe 10 Sundays in that entire 50 years. I would say to you, most of us do not understand God's formula and the role that the church and life in Christ together, we don't understand the role that plays in our life. And we don't realize the joy, the strength, the endurance, the direction, the guidance that comes out of that as we follow Christ. So this all has a profound impact on your individual life. As a matter of fact, I I guarantee you, you're going to leave with three things. If you don't leave with these three things, I'll give you your money back. Uh, number one, you're going to have a greater understanding of your church than you have ever had of this church or any church you've ever been to. That is a pretty grandiose claim, right? I mean, you ought to come to church just to see if I could fulfill a promise like that. You are going to have a greater understanding of what this church is about and what you're involved with. You're going to know definitively and be able to repeat it, what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're going to do it, and what the end result is inside the body and in a person's individual life. And that, that frame, that those four sides inside that goes the picture of becoming a church the 804 can't imagine being without. You're going to know how to explain more than ever before. Which then means, number two, you're going to have a greater ability than ever before to tell someone why you go to church. To tell somebody why you love your church. Now, my guess is more than one of us are in here thinking, I don't need to tell anybody I go to church. (laughs) Why would I need to do that? You know what? I know this. I know that Christ, that Jesus' heart, beats for the church. So I'm not sure how I can be in love with Jesus, but not in love with what makes his heart beat. You can't say, Randy, I'd love to be your best friend, but your wife, I hate her. You ain't gonna be my best friend. She's too valuable. She's too important to me. You You don't know me and you don't relate with me without knowing my bride. You know what Jesus said? He's the groom and we are the, we're the bride. Hey, if my heart beats for what Jesus' heart beats, then my heart beats for the church. And that means I want to be able to share it. 
And, and the goal is not here. You, you, I need, you need to listen to me so you can come to church with me this Sunday. You're going straight to hell. No, that's not what I'm talking about, folks. I'm talking about in a world that thinks that church is bad and church is something to get away with, get away from, you have the ability to, in an intriguing way, in an interesting way, simply answer why I love my church and why I go there and what we're a part of and what we do there. You're, you're going to have that. And then lastly, you're, you're, you're going you're to get this in this series, these measurements. We, we got seven measurements for how we measure and look at our own walk with Christ and, and how that connects with a church family. Folks, I just cannot help but believe that our world, and they don't know it, but they desperately need us to get this right. And my God, my Savior, is worthy of me getting this right. Isn't he? Will you help us become a church that is such an incredible force for good all throughout the 804 that they can't imagine what this place would be without the church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that if we bring our plans before you, you will accomplish them. And God, we, I, I do that now, and I, and I don't do that for the first time. Lord, you know that all of these plans that are unfolding and being revealed, they, they have been prayed over and fasted over. And God, we've sought your heart and mind on the future that you have for us. Oh, but Lord, openly and publicly, we just, we lay those down at your feet and we ask for you to bless and God for you to do what you've done before at the heights, to fulfill plans and to fulfill prayers in a way that is far beyond what we could dream of, far beyond what we could even imagine. Oh God, I would pray that should you tarry, should you not return soon, God, I pray there's a day 10 years from now, 12 years from now, 15 years from now, that we look back on the fall of 2017 in awe of the chapter that got started there in our story. That we look back and say, man, we, we wanted to dream, we wanted to ask and pray, and yet we couldn't even imagine what ultimately ended up coming from that. God, would you do that in and through us? Would you do that in our midst? And I would, I would pray for myself, for, for every one of us in here, God, that individually we are each pursuing and wanting to know what that means to me. What, what, how, how I relate with this church. Oh God, would you guide, would you bless, would you do what we already know you can do? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.